So tonight I'd like to speak about <clears throat> the search for meaning. The search for meaning and after a day on the pillow, you're probably wondering what the meaning <laughs> of this practice is and what you're doing here. And perhaps planning in your mind the packing of your suitcase and how <laughs> you're going to flee the first time the teachers aren't around. <laughs> I think many people go through that scenario, but very, very, very few actually follow through, which is an interesting component and ties into the talk tonight because why is it that we don't follow through? Why is it that we just, we just don't write this practice off and dismiss it and say, oh, I'm out of here, this isn't any good? Because even though it's difficult and certainly has that attribute, Somehow, something in us uh, is stirred. In spite of the difficulty, or including the difficulty, or maybe even because of the difficulty, something in us is understanding that it's not going to be business as usual for me. It can't be that way anymore. It can't be uh, seeking what is meaningful in life at the expense of my own heart, at the expense of my own sanity, at the expense of my own well-being. And although we may not vision clearly where this path leads and we just hear words we're willing to give it a try because we have pretty much, or we're beginning to reach the end of our rope of our old strategies. Perhaps we just have the intimation that how we've lived prior just hasn't been meaningful enough. And so I'd like to tackle this subject in some way, to go into it, to look into it deeply. What is meaningful to our life? I was reading a study that showed that the greatest indicator on someone's ability to age well was whether they retrospectively could look at their life and come to the conclusion that it was a meaningful one. Now, it was interesting because it was the meaning that they gave to it, not some arbitrary meaning or abstract meaning, and whether they lived in accordance with what they thought was true and useful. So what what makes our life meaningful? Is it only when I produce something? Is that what makes me feel worthwhile, valued. Not too long ago, I (coughs) saw a bumper sticker that sticks with me to this day. It said, what if the hokey pokey is really what it's all about? (laughs) And I think uh, it's a kind of, when I read it, there was a, oh my God. (laughs) What if it is really what it's all about? (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe the secret's out now with the bumper sticker. <laughs> but there, there is a, there's a kind of fear, or not fear, but an anxiety we have that maybe life is meaningless. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. I mean, birth and education and, and then job and family and then old age and then death. Where, where is there something in there that I can get my arms around? Where I can really truly value? Amid the expectations of the youth, I have a 16-year-old niece and she's just at that age where life is holding its potential, her perceive, the perceived potential. And you can just see her heart just uh, invite different dreams into it. And then if you plotted the series of experiences in conjunction with the dreams, how those dreams diminish as experiences begin to show their weight and force over time. And how we sometimes can drop into a kind of despair when the dreams haven't been met or when they, the innocence of dreaming is released. And some of us just live with that kind of despair, that sort of ache of the heart. And so, of course, we have to have that ache in order to put up with the, such the difficulty of coming into a retreat like this. We have to know that ache in some way, to be willing to set foot on this path. Why do it if there was a more meaningful way around all of this? And so we, we begin to look at our life now perhaps a little differently. What is meaningful? And we know and we begin to see over the decades of our life that what we have given meaning, where we have placed our value, has changed, has evolved. And along with it, interestingly enough, our friends have changed as well. When we get involved with something and something then we meet a whole new circle of friends around that and other friends drop away. And it's also true with Dharma practice. Ajahn Chah said, the good practice is to ask, ask yourself every day, why were you born? Sincerely, why was I born? I don't think we do that because it sets off the chain of despair. We don't really know why we were born. And we're afraid that the answer may be the hokey pokey. <laughs> so why is it that we... Some of us have some sense of it, but the question is, do we live with the intention behind the direction we seek? When we find or discover a meaningful and important 
value system for ourselves or something that we really want to work towards? Do we have the value, the intention, and the effort? Because it's not just the dream. It's not just the, the meaning that's important. It's putting that meaning into action, channeling it with both our intentionality and our effort. And many of us fall, fall flat even though we may have the aspiration in terms of the image, in terms of the direction, in terms of the view, we somehow have lethargy of spirit. Lethargy of spirit. We find ourselves just kind of dabbling. This is another dabbling. The lack of commitment, the lack of full-heartedness, because behind that, we, we don't know, and we're afraid to find out. So the best way not to know that life is meaningless, to discover that fact, is to give it half an effort. And then we can at least say, well, it might be meaningful. I just don't know. And that don't know saves us from the despair of it being meaningless, which we fear above all else. Isn't that interesting, what we do to ourselves? I was conducting a workshop with the staff of a hospice program. And I took them, had them uh, do a visualization of their own dying. And they got cancer and got sick and lost a lot of their efficiency and then was close to death and then actually died. And then I resurrected them, and we had a discussion about what that was like, and many of them, not just one, but the majority of them said they died regretting their life. You see? You see what? I know um, I had a situation like that not too long ago where I have... um, uh, sleep apnea. If I lie on my back, I start uh, being unable to breathe, and I'll wake up out of that, gasping for breath. And and so this happened uh, actually right before I came here in uh, late February. And I and it takes only a while to get my breath in in that space between the gasping and and the uncertainty of whether. I'm going to be able to gain my breath again comes the fear of, of my own demise. And with it, well, I haven't said goodbye. I haven't finished. I have that sense of, of being off guard by this occasion. In a, in a sudden death, what chance do we have? rounding out what is meaningful to us. It seems to me that it must have more of a direct and immediate impact than our productivity for life to be meaningful if we're going to account for sudden death. And many of us begin our journey into what is meaningful 
through perhaps our vocation or perhaps our hobbies. And then somehow we often get sidetracked into the labyrinth of the different courses of what life offers in terms of prestige or power or money or things. And we lose our way. A New Age spiritualist, Marianne Williamson, I was reading something I thought it was pretty good. She said, meaning doesn't lie in things. Meaning lies in us. When we attach value to things that aren't love, the money, the car, the house, the prestige, we love things that can't love us back. We are searching for meaning in the meaningless. meaningless. Money of itself means nothing. Material things of themselves mean nothing. It's not that they're bad. It's just that they mean nothing. What this says to me is, does my direction, does what, where I place my meaning, does it have heart? To see that which holds the heart. I have never heard anyone die, and I have been with hundreds, perhaps thousands of people on the edge of their life, say to me, oh, I'm really going to miss my Mercedes when I die. Not one time. Does it have heart? Does it have connection? Does it have intimacy? Does it have resonance with our aliveness? And I think one of the reasons that we choose to place our meaning in things is because things can't reject us and we are so afraid of being negated. That if I rest my worth in my material objects, at least I won't be, I will still be validated through them. It's chancy in an interpersonal relationship. But when we open the question of what is meaningful to us, where we include the possibility or the certainty of our death, then we begin to see that we value things that are eventually going to die. And what lasting meaning can that have? How much purpose, how much intention, how much effort can I put towards something that is finite? And so a question might come, is there anything truly meaningful that lasts? And that's what this practice, that's the base root question of this practice. That's what holds this practice. Because when we sit down and we face ourselves, what is meaningful in what we see? We have given such worth, such value to our intellect, we have sharpened it to such a degree, but we look at it, what is it? 
And not only that, because we have sharpened it, it comes and cuts us. The blade of it. Again and again and again. And when people are on the edge of their life, they no longer have the ability, as many of us do, to project our meaningful, what is meaningful, into the future. Life will be meaningful when I paint my masterpiece, I write my book, I have my child, I finally meet my soulmate. When. But when you're on the edge of your life and you don't have a when, W-H-E-N, the change in nature of hope moves from hope of when to the quality of now. Because that's all we have when we're dying, when we're terminally ill. Joseph Campbell says it this way. He said, People say they are searching for a meaningful life, but what they are really looking for is the experience of being alive. Now I think we're getting into, we're beginning to intimate the possibilities of something being far more meaningful than the betrayal of relationships of objects, of jobs and purpose that we have assigned life. Dharma begins to bring us into the meaningfulness of now. In the small acts of life, not in the crescendos of some huge happening, But in the small, Virginia Woolf says, what is the meaning of life? The great revelation never did come. Instead, there were just little daily miracles, illuminations, matches struck unexpectedly in the dark. The cup of tea, the touch of the sun, the coolness of the air, the beauty of that sunset right out our window. the sensitivity and fragility of the breath. You wake up some night with apnea and the fragility of the breath dawns on you like never before. How would we breathe if we had lung cancer? How would you walk if you had been crippled for most of your life? when you were taking your first step. Wouldn't that be the most meaningful thing? How is it that we could possibly lose that kind of connection? Where do we give it away? How can it become dull and habitual? How is it that we ever lose the specialness 
Have you ever been sick for a long period of time and then been well? And think, God, I can't believe what it feels like to be well. And then within two or three days forget that. Completely. The problem is that the mind makes and betrays the moment's meaning. It says, is this all there is? This is boring. Wouldn't you rather think about last year's vacation? Wouldn't you rather relive that exciting relationship? Why, why be here? Is this it? Come with me. Come with me, the beckoning of the sirens call. Come with me. I'll show you. I'll show you what's meaningful. Come with me into the abstract world of thought where you can dance with the images. Make them anything you wish. There's your life's meaning. And so we do. And we bypass that sunset. Or say, I'll see it tomorrow. It'll be better tomorrow. Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor, talked about his experience in the Nazi Germany in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And his premise was that we are all, our lives are all full of suffering. And what we have to do to make our life meaningful is to find meaning in the suffering. To find meaning in the suffering. And that many of us wait for crisis until there's a crisis in order to ask meaningful questions from our suffering. My experience with that has been um, with hospice patients who search for what is meaningful after they have their prognosis and their time is limited on earth. One hospice patient, I remember saying to me over and over again, it's God's will that I'm going to die. It's God's will that I'm dying. Then, then it's okay that I'm dying, right? So he was trying to make his life meaningful, his death meaningful, in the fact of embracing it within God's will. And I said to him, because he had lung cancer and he was breathing very rapidly, I said, yes, perhaps it is God's will that you're going to die, but it's God's will now that you're alive. So why not be with your aliveness, your breath, and embrace the immediate moment of God's will. Viktor Frankl went on and said, within unpleasant circumstances, within suffering, we can choose an attitude. And he talked about 
seeing a few prisoners of war giving little pieces of bread from their small amount of nourishment to other dying Holocaust prisoners. And he said, though they were few in number, they turned the whole nature of the camp around. The attitude shift. You see, in Dharma we would say, is this moment workable or not? That's our attitude shift. Is this moment workable or not workable? I was... uh, on a Saturday outing with my two nieces who are 15 and 13. And we were uh, at Wild Waves, which is this park of shoots of way of water shoots you around. And I mean, it's waterfalls and it's just uh, torrential. I mean, everything is fast and you're just getting spewed out of one thing and the lines were long and so anyway, I was paying, and his cost was unbelievable. So I was, we were standing in line, long, long lines. It was like in August or something. And I was bemoaning the lines. I was saying, oh God, what did we come here? We should have picked a different day. Maybe we can come back when it's raining. <laughs> being, being kind of a miserable uncle. And my 15-year-old nurse niece turns to me and she says, you know, Uncle Rod, all you have to do is change your attitude. there's an attitude shift partial is this moment workable that's an attitude shift now in Dharma we wouldn't say that a meaningful life is to find meaning in our suffering we would say what is meaningful is to end suffering that life becomes meaningful when we move into the problem and not away and aversive to it. But first we have to have that attitude shift that, okay, let's go. And usually that attitude only comes when we have expended the strategies of escapism. We have to have tried every way out before we will move into And some of us sitting here haven't escaped enough. And you're still, we're still trying to escape within our meditation. Because really, suffering won't end as long as it's a betrayal. It's not a betrayal. It's not bad things happening to good people. never was. Now we can get serious. What is it then? And the whole of Dharma practice comes in deciphering the codes of that suffering. Until we completely rest in its presence, without any movement whatsoever.
And what we begin to find is that it's through the door of the heart, the, through the door of interconnection, that th- th- this deciphering, that this decoding of suffering is available. And meaning then is always immediately in front of our eyes. The immediacy of meaning. Not an abstraction. Not waging war. But it requires a total commitment a total expenditure of escapism is the only way I can put it. We have to have tunnel, tried to tunnel out every conceivable way. Why else would we ever want to move into this problem, into this challenge, into this crisis of spirit, into this conflict? And then all of our actions become spiritual. They aren't actions to arrive at the spiritual, but all of our actions become spiritual. What we're doing this week is learning to aim in that direction. Okay, so I have sadness in me. My knee hurts. I've had a recent loss, or maybe I don't know why I I grieve. Memories, shame and guilt keep surfacing. That relationship at the office is so tension-filled. See, the escapism is in finding a solution away from the suffering, usually in terms of blame, but not to open to what is meaningful within that. Because at the moment of suffering, I have disconnected. There is a disconnect from reality. And always in Dharma, we have to reconnect. And we can't do it abstractly. We have to do it in the suffering. Because that's where the disconnect is happening. We have to go right there to the hurt, to the resistance, to the struggle, to the conflict. I can feel this. There we've connected. And that simple willingness to be mindful, to acknowledge, to be open. Then our life begins to be rich in meaning. Because it becomes full, it becomes expansive, it becomes inclusive. It becomes heart-filled. But we have to aim. We have to know. See, that's what the Buddha gave us. He gave us an aim, a direction. He gave us an aim. He said, look down this sight. 
to see that the reason we took birth, the reason that we have lived, the reason for all the circumstances in our life have been to take aim in the direction of connection and interconnectedness. And not to look for meaning in an abstract reality away from what is at hand, but to find it here, despite what the mind's objections might be. Despite the boredom it puts in front of me and this problem. Despite the dismissal it gives the moment. This isn't worth it. This is uninteresting. Why don't you go listen to music? Wouldn't you like to see a video? Just go read. Have some tea. Have some tea. Over in the forest refuges I was was practicing, I I would be walking. And those same mind states, they continue to come, even 30 years into the practice. And you just walk right through them. This is uninteresting. Next step. Have some tea. Next step. What time is it? When's lunch? Next step. Wonder what they're having for lunch. Next step. Mara's arrows. So that there needs to be a change of strategy in order to bring this immediacy of meaning into view. The strategies need to change in how it is and how it, the way it is that we orient ourselves, the posture we take to the world. And so just a, two or three of these strategies that we might want to look at. The strategy of receptivity rather than willfulness. Of receiving life on its own terms rather than the forced manipulation and control, the rearrangements. What if we just, in our practice, we just settled back and allowed whatever is there to be there on its own terms. That's the definition of freedom. Life without resistance. And we see how difficult it is because we keep thinking that it will be much more meaningful without my knee pain and without this thought. And I've got to get over my ignorance and out of my confusion. Then, life will be meaningful. But what if we receive receptivity rather than willfulness? See, the receptivity is to let it be. Just let it be. Let this be. You can feel it. Even as we speak it, you can, you can feel the resonance of the room. Just feel what let it be feels like. 
a true moment of meditation, let it be. The second strategy, learning rather than asserting. Learning. Again, it's a form of receptivity where we're learning or listening, where we're receiving the moment rather than opinionating or evaluating or judging it. When we're not inducing a component, a screen or a way to interpret the moment, but receiving all the information nuances. What usually happens is that we put a mirror to reflect away from, so the shiny side of the mirror is away from ourselves. Anything that we don't agree with reflects away, and we only let in the sunlight of the resonance of our own opinion. And so we end up listening to what we already agree with. That's what gets through. Confirmation of our righteousness. What if I didn't assert that? What if I just released myself and allowed everything to come in? Uncensored. You see what faith that requires? My God, I could be corrupted. Maybe. Maybe not. No guarantees, don't know. But is it working the other way? Learning, just learning. Meditation, although this is a lesson that may take a long time to learn, is and has always been only about learning. This is insight meditation. We come in and make it something else. And then the third strategy. Authenticity rather than image. I like that one. Because to be authentic means you have to be grounded in the fact. The fact that's in front of us. And we want to give flight away from the fact into the image, into the presentation into the abstract. But the authentic moment is. It's not as if we could have another thought besides the thought we're thinking. There's the authenticity, the authentic moment. Not the image, not the presentation, not how I will be perceived by others. But what is it that's really happening here? What's very helpful and has always been helpful for me in aligning the new strategies 
has been to reflect upon my death. Each year it gets easier. Okay. What am I going to do, die with this? Do I want to die like this? Okay, so now, when is it? If it hasn't been, it's not now, when? And what we begin to do, there's a statue in the Hindu tradition of Shiva. Shiva is a multi-armed god. And in this particular statue, he is standing on the back of a hunched-over man. And the man is looking very diligently and carefully and attentively at a leaf. And Shiva is on the back of that man. And the meaning of the statue for me is that we get so engrossed in the objects of the world that we miss the fact that God is on our back. What is meaningful may not be the content of our lives. It may be the sure heart's release. Not that which changes, which is all we can ever experience and see, but the intimation of that which never changes. Herein rests the absolute meaning. Herein rests the final discovery. Herein shows us why life is and has always been. And herein the practice leads, if it's done sincerely, Can we sit for a minute or two? as we sit in stillness and quiet. Get a sense of that which does not change. Behind the scenes of the experience. The actors are on the stage, behind the stage underneath the stage.
Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.